0: The the next major section of the book um, is about how you live a life of love in the context of a local church. Um, And last week, we learned that a life of love lays down its rights for other people. So in every context you are in, there will be some people who are weak, can't handle Uh, temptations to certain things, who have some weird or strange convictions about things that aren't that important. And we learned last week that for those people, uh, you should lay down your rights and love for them. That sounds strange to you. That sounds kind of weird. The lessons posted online, I'd encourage you to look at it. Um, But the issue going on in Corinth was that some of the Corinthians were going to a pagan temple, so like the temple of Aphrodite or the temple of Zeus, and they were like, hey, I'm just here for the free food, okay? Um, They would go in, they'd say, I'm not a pagan, I'm not worshiping like pagans are, I'm just here for the free food, I know idols aren't real. Um, What's the big deal? And the first thing Paul argues in 1 Corinthians uh, 8 and 9 is that you are violating the law of love. Um, You should lay down your right for other believers. But uh, the issue is a little more intense than that. Uh, We're going to learn this morning... That it's not just an issue of love to others, but an issue of love to God. When a believer goes into a pagan temple, even if in their heart they think, oh, this isn't real, they're still participating in something that's idolatry. And we're going to learn even more so that idolatry is anything uh, where you're loving or treasuring or living for anything more than the Lord. And so uh, we're all there in some regards. We all need uh, what 1 Corinthians 10 says, so I would encourage you to listen. We'll read the scriptures through chapter 11, verse 1, and then pray. So here we go, 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things, these Old Testament stories, took place as examples for us that we may not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with a temptation he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is, is, is it not a participation in the blood of, the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot... Partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in a sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because because of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Just as I, I try to please everyone and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, as I am Christ. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, as we uh, approach a passage that is just so uh, so set in the first century and the issues they dealt with, I pray that you give us the wisdom and the grace to apply it to our lives. I pray that the Spirit would come and help us to see uh, just the weight and the seriousness of the things Paul's talking about. Give us uh, give us the ability, as we, even as we get into the Word this morning, that to turn away from our own idols and to embrace you as one true and living God. I pray that in Jesus' name. So there are some things uh that you just have to run away from there are some things whether whether uh it's because they're dangerous or because they um you just can't handle them that you just have to run away from imagine this imagine you go home you're like sunday tired ready for a nap and you lay on the couch get the remote out and you just kind of glance above and in the corner ceiling of your house there is a nest of black widows okay Nap time's over, right? Um, nap time's over. No sleeping for weeks, okay? Get out. Um, we've experienced this many times. When a Category 4 hurricane's bearing down on Charleston, people flee. They take all the bottled water with them, okay? But they flee, okay? They run away. Uh, tomorrow, if you were heading downtown for a work meeting that was gonna be career defining and your little iPhone went off with an alert, that there's been some kind of spill of toxic waste in downtown Charleston, there's nuclear radiation, okay? You're gonna turn the car around and go away, right? It doesn't matter how important it is. You're gonna flee for your life. And uh, other things, maybe not dangerous or terrible in themselves, are just so enticing to us personally, we have to flee them if we're gonna be healthy people. For example, if you have a sweet tooth and you're trying to diet or do the Whole30, you just gotta stay away from donuts. Okay, like you can't even go to the grocery store where they have the case of donuts out there, you know, where it's like right in front of you. You gotta stay away. Uh, depending upon your background, uh, there are just some, some kinds of entertainment. You just can't, you just gotta flee from. I'm the kind of guy, I can't do uh, horror movies or scary media. I, I don't care how great the fellowship is when you guys go see it, okay? I'm not going, all right? Uh, I, I, just, I just can't handle it. Uh, and more seriously, some of, you, some of you in here, all right? Um, you need to flee. From the beach in Charleston in the summer. You know, bathing suits aren't evil, but personally, you just can't handle it. You need to flee. Um, If there's any doubt to do without, look at verse 14. It says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. This is the main command of the passage, the main point, the reason Paul's making all these arguments. Uh, He wants us to flee idolatry. And this word flee comes from a, a Greek word that we get our English word fugitive, someone who's on the run. Uh, of course, that can be a negative sense, like a prisoner running away, but there's also people can be fugitives like the Syrian refugees are fugitives. They've left everything precious to them and their home because of the danger there. And that's the idea of this word. Get out. It's the same word that Jesus uses when, uh, when he's talking about the end of the world, and he says when Jerusalem is destroyed, Flee to the mountains. The idea here is run, no matter what it costs you. And what's a believer supposed to flee from? Idolatry. And idolatry um, is not limited. It certainly is worshiping a false god. But it's not limited to, like, making an offering to Krishna or to becoming a Muslim, okay? It's not, that's, not, that's not just it. Anything that you love or worship or give yourself to in the same way that you should love and worship and give yourself to God, that's an idol. Idolatry is having emotions, okay? Emotions about things you should be emotional about God about, having those other things. That's idolatry. Um, We are all worshipers. We're always worshiping, and worshiping things besides God. Anything that falls under that category is idolatry. Uh, Tim Keller wrote a wonderful little book uh, called Counterfeit Gods. I'd recommend it to all of you. He gives uh, a... A good definition of an idol, it's a a lengthy quote, maybe a minute or so, but it's so good we uh, we should read it. Here we go. A counterfeit god or an idol is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. It can be family and children. career and making money or achievement it can be a romantic relationship peer approval competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances even success in Christian ministry but here's here's the big point here's the clearest part an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts if I have that and I'll feel my life has meaning I'll know I have value I'll feel significant and secure an idol um, is anything that becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life, and identity. Um, and one of my hopes, just in reading that definition, is that uh, we can, as we, as we get through this passage, this is very much a first century passage. It's, it's drenched in the issues they dealt with. Um, I hope we can see that even if I am not eating a steak offered to Zeus, I can very much be an idolater. There are a hundred things that can capture my affections and hearts besides Christ. And um, in light of that, I think these warnings about idolatry are very much for us this morning. Indeed, just like Paul says, things that have been written are written that we might not desire evil as others have. So let's dive in. So first, uh, the passage says, Flee idolatry because it has dire and drastic consequences. Old Testament saints, people who were covenanted with God, and they committed idolatry. They got judged. Um, and this little, this little first five verses might confuse a lot of you guys. But uh, if you look, it says, um, "Our fathers" is uh, chapter ten, verse one. Our fathers, uh, that refers to our spiritual forefathers, our spiritual ancestors, Old Testament saints. Uh, I don't know if you read the Old Testament much, but really verses uh, one through eleven are all drenched in Old Testament story. I'll go through them really quickly. Uh, our spiritual forefathers, the Old Testament saints, God's people, if you look at uh, the end of verse 1, it says they were all under the cloud and all passed to the sea, and they were all baptized into Moses and in the cloud and the sea. That's kind of a tough verse. Uh, but uh, when Israel traveled in the wilderness, they had the cloud of God's presence with them. And when, uh, when God miraculously delivered them from Egypt, he parted the sea and they walked through the sea. And Paul makes this really interesting comparison. He compares what happened to them uh, to our present-day Christian baptism. It's really interesting. The idea there that, that God covenanted with these people, that they, they entered that initi- initiation into God's covenant having got the cloud of God's presence with them going to the sea, that made them the people of God. They weren't just initiated. They Look at verse 3 and 4. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. All those stories about the manna. If you, if you know the story, God provided miraculous bread from heaven for his people. He frequently provided water when they did not have any. Uh, this passage says that was Christ providing those things, and in the same way when Jesus says, you know, water not on life, that was Christ giving them life. So they, these people, the Old Testament saints, they were initiated in covenant with God. They were God's the people, and they they had spiritual experience in life in relationship with God. They were His people. Okay. Look at verse five. Nevertheless. Even though all these things were true of them, most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And uh, the word overthrown is a really, uh, a really sanitized way to say it. The, the, the word means dead bodies strewn out on the ground. That's what it means. Um, it's, like, it's, it's a word you'd use after a big battle. When there were so many dead people after the battle, they were just on the field. Um, and that's what happened to the, the wilderness generation. Uh, they died in the wilderness. God was not pleased with them. They were overthrown. And we see, uh, we see why um, they were overthrown. And we see why God recorded these. Look at verse 6. It says, these things took place, that these stories happened uh, as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Verse 11 goes a little bit further and says that these things happened to them, to the Old Testament saints, as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come. This is crazy, guys. The Old Testament, the stories are true. They really happened. They had a purpose when they were written, but in God's economy, the stories there were written so that you and I would not make the same foolish mistakes that Old Testament saints did. When you read Exodus and they're grumbling in the wilderness and God kills ten thousand people and you're like, oh my gosh, like that's crazy. Like that, that that kind of challenges my worldview. What that's meant to tell you is this is how bad grumbling is in God's sight and you should flee from it, even when you're at work tomorrow morning at nine a.m. Okay. Um, but he goes through exactly what, what the what the people did that we should avoid. Look at verse seven. Do not be idolaters, if some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That is a reference to Exodus 32, when God's people made the golden calf, that big, idolatrous thing. After they had the golden calf, they basically had a frat party. Um, They rose up to eat and drink and had bride's play. It was nasty. It was bad. Right? Um, Don't do that. Uh, Verse uh, 8 says, We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. That's Numbers 22. God's people worship Baal at Fjord, and a part of Baal worship was sexual immorality. It goes on, and you, you, get, you can read the rest of it, but they put Christ to the test. They grumbled against him. And what's interesting about all of these things is it's not just pure, straight-up idolatry that gets Israel judged. That does happen. But it's also their grumbling, and their complaining, and their morality. And I think the idea is that, that all sin all of their behaviors are rooted in idolatry. I heard a—I forget this guy's name. My, my bad. But a great, a, a really wise, smart person once said that breaking commandments four through ten of the Ten Commandments always starts with breaking commandments one through three. Whenever you, you, whenever you're stealing or committing adultery or lying, you're always before that happens. You're having other gods besides God. You're making, you're making yourself an idol. Um. So, uh, besides the fact that you need to read your Old Testament and that its stories are valuable for you, there's, there's, one, there's one big point here that I want you to, to think about this. Um, <laughs> idolatry, even if it seems really innocent in your heart and life, even if it's really common to the people around you, idolatry is extremely dangerous, and it has dire consequences. Old Testament saints people under the covenant were killed because of it. That's how bad it is. Um, when your heart and your emotions revolve like little planets around your relationship status or your work status or the next three or four years of your life, when, you're, when, when your life is governed by those things, that is the same kind of sin that people got killed for in the Old Testament. That's how bad it is. Even if everybody around you is doing it. Even if, even if you share your struggle with community group and they're like, ah, I've been there before, man. No, it's fine. No, that, that is the kind of sin that people get killed for. It's, it's devastating. Um, imagine this for a second. Look, 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 at, uh, look at verse 22. This is, why so, this is why it's so dangerous, okay? Here's what it says. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? When you love things other than God when you treasure them, you are provoking God to jealousy. Imagine this for a second. Imagine your dreams come true. All right, you get married to the love of your life. Things are going wonderfully. First two, three, four years are wonderful. You guys join a community group full of couples. Things are great. We're just enjoying life. And you notice that your spouse is starting to get a little unusually close with one of the opposite-sex members of the community group. You're going to trust them. You're going to be the benefit doubt. Okay, so it's just fine. I'm not going to get crazy, okay? I'm just going to trust, all right? And then, one Sunday at church, you're in the bathroom, and you come out, and your spouse does not see you, and you see him or her, and this other person, and it's clear that they're flirting. They're even standing a little too close. I, I want you just to muster up the emotions you had in that moment. You'd be angry. You'd be jealous. It was great for you. Rightly. A godly spouse is jealous of the affections of their spouse. That's, that's what it means. And here, God is jealous over his people's affections. That's why that's why idolatry said that. God loves you. He wants what's best for you. You owe him your worship and your life and your heart. And when you give your emotions and your heart and your love and your worship to other things, it provokes God to righteous jealousy. And he'll bring his displeasure and his judgment into your life to bring you back to him. So, whatever that thing is for you this morning, flee from it. Flee from centering your life around it. Run from it. So it's been heavy so far. It's going to get a little bit heavier before we get to something. Uh, before we get rescued, uh, idolatry is not just—it's not just dangerous. It's also demonic. Um, this is where the passage goes. It's about to get a little supernatural. Uh, verses 14 to 20, 14 to 22 give us the Bible's view on other world religions and all other forms of worship. Um, so remember, before we bring it back, remember the issue at hand, all right, in Corinth is, can I go to the temple of Aphrodite and have a meal when they offered to her? Can I do that? Paul's answer is no for various reasons, okay? But here's what he says. Here's his argument. Look at, uh, look at verse... Uh, 16, okay? He's speaking to sensible people who can hopefully reason their way through this. Verse 16. The cup of blessing, this is the Lord's Supper. He's talking about the Lord's Supper here. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So this uh, this is kind of Paul's little uh, side note here for a second. Uh, How cool is the Lord's Supper? Uh, when we do you know how we do Four Supper and Worship it can be a little underwhelming, you have a little plastic juice cups and a little a tiny little bread day every six weeks, okay? Kind of like don't don't drop the plate when it has it, you know, like all those kind of things. I get it, okay. Uh, it's even anyways. Um, this passage says that when we do that, we are actually participating in the blood of Jesus. That he himself this word participation gives a sense of table fellowship of Deep community. When we take the Lord's Supper, Jesus himself is spiritually present, and we, as a people, are made one as we're one with him. It's a hugely significant, really cool thing. Next time we do the Lord's Supper, I just want you to think about these verses. Write them down. You're participating in the blood and the body of Jesus. It's wonderful, but if that is true, and what is a person who's going into Zeus's temple to eat a steak participating in? Look at uh, look at verse twenty. I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be particip- participants with demons. Wow, this is uh, something you don't hear much. Okay, the Bible. Uh, does not say that other world religions are just wrong or that other people who have secular views just don't get it. It says those things are demonic. And it, may, it, actually, it actually makes sense. Have you ever wondered? Guys, Hinduism, I'm not going to hate on Hinduism, but it's a very strange worldview. And for every Hindu, you have a different, you have a different Hinduism. Have you ever wondered, how does that have hold on people? Like, how, how do people get enslaved to that? It's because it's demonic. How, guys, Islam, okay? Now, I'm not going to... Islam has some of these weirdest, most dubious historical origins. You guys know that Islam is founded on one dude going into a cave by himself and claiming that an angel wrote a book for him. That's, that's where it's from. That's how it's that's how, that's how it origin. And, and, and millions, billions of people are enslaved to that today. And they can't. And if I said that in public, they would kill me. And the reason is because it's not. It's not that they're wrong. It's demonic. There's, there's supernatural power, bad supernatural power behind it. Have you ever wondered how can an atheist look at the glory of creation, and experience the birth of their child, and have deep friendships, and then say there's no God? It's because their world. It's not science, guys. It's not their science. It's, it's demonic. There's evil supernatural power behind it. And so. Uh, Christians who are bought by the blood of Jesus, who are one with him, should flee from anything that even remotely resembles participation in different religions or in different worldviews. So how how do we deal with cultural idolatry? What do we do when my culture worships false gods? Um, and I, I just want to I want to consider together something this morning that even though we live in a day where more there's a growing number of Americans that identify themselves as non-religious uh, that there's a growing secularism uh, in our culture that in fact according to the scriptures America is extremely religious we worship as a nation worship is inescapable and we as Americans we worship. Um, I know we have a lot of division in our day, a lot of different worldviews, but think of the things that almost all Americans collectively love and even worship. Personal freedom, uh, autonomy, sexual freedom, romance, money, comfort, nice, delicious things, pleasure, success, whether it's in sports or your work. Personal fulfillment, youth, entertainment, I mean, just, just think about guys, and I hope this will get too close to home for you guys, but yesterday, a large proportion of our nation, okay, their life was a little planet orbiting around the sun of college football. They woke up like, ooh, day the day, you know? Mm, you know, like, like they, get, they get all their snacks together. They, they get the whole family around. They, or they spend hundreds of dollars driving and exhausting themselves and their family up to a, a game where 70,000 people are watching. And again, I like football, okay? But they're watching People take a ball, and, and their emotions are like this. You know, you know what that is? That's worship. It's not enjoying the football game. It's worship. When, when you go, when you, when you go see a romantic comedy with your friends, okay? Which some of you do, whatever, okay? And it's fine. I've watched romantic comedies, okay. I personally enjoy Hitch. It's not a bad movie, okay? Whatever. All right, all right, But uh, but when you're there, and you start to dream a little bit, and you start to think, man, I can't wait for this happens in my life. Or you're talking, God, why haven't you brought that person? It's going to just, you know, give me all these feelings. That's, 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 it's worship, okay? It's not just being discontent. That, that, you're worshiping romance. Um, and this can happen in a million different ways. But okay, I think the primary thing that we should think about as we, as, we, as we talk about this passage is we should flee from the idols of our day. We we should recognize them, recognize what American culture idolizes, think clearly about them, see what parts of our culture speak most deeply to us, the things that we treasure the most, and we should flee from those things. We should intentionally do things that help us not be idolized. For example, this is something I said uh, Thursday, okay? Fasting is something that scares people, and people think it's super weird. Why? Because Americans are obsessed with food and feeling good. I think fasting is a wonderful way to flee from the idolatry of loving, feeling great and loving my delicious food. Um, but we, 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 should, we should attack the things in our hearts that we love, um, maybe take a Saturday off from watching your team play. Um, I think uh, there's another, this is a, a very specific application. Uh, just if you weren't here last week, we spent 30 minutes after the lesson talking about yoga. Um, and it was, it was really funny. Uh, so if you weren't here, there's, there's always a context to what you're teaching through, okay? Uh, but uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a scoffer, you're like, yoga, oh my god, that's so weird, okay? Uh, yoga is actually tricky for two reasons. First is that on its surface, it's just stretching, basically, with some things that are a little harder than stretching, all right? Uh, and we, we, would never say, we would never say that stretching is bad are evil. No, of course not. But, the second thing about it that's tricky, all right, is that yoga is very much rooted in Eastern religion. Uh, If you go to India, the people who do yoga do it for religious reasons. They do it to get favored, karma. They do it because it connects them with the one of the universe. And a lot of that's tripled over into America, okay? Um, And so, again, because we talked about it for 30 minutes last Sunday, I want to speak about it for two minutes today. Um, Look at verse 25. Okay, Paul's giving advice. Uh, after all this hardcore idolatry talk, after all this talk about not eating in a pagan's temple and how that's participation with demons. Here's what it says. It says in verse uh, 25. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So Even though your butcher might have sacrificed your steaks to Zeus, don't worry about it. If he tells you, don't eat it. But just don't worry about it. Don't, don't raise any objections. Uh, likewise, at verse 27, an unbeliever invites you to dinner and you want to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in a sacrifice, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you. So the idea here is that the physical food is not what's tainted. The physical act is not what's tainted. It is the worship associated with it. Um, I think just really briefly uh, as regards yoga, if you're doing yoga in your home, great. Enjoy that, okay? If you're doing yoga at a yoga studio where they play the Beach Boys or they play whatever, and the, the, the instructor's like, let's, let's stretch our lats today or whatever, okay? Whatever we are doing, okay? <laughs> this is a great calf stretch, all right? Wonderful. Enjoy it. Do it, okay? But if your instructor is like, let's take a moment and just connect ourselves to the energy of the universe. Or let's sit in silence for a moment to empty our minds. Um, or if they start telling you about how the different poses are good for spiritual reasons or whatever, okay, flee from that. Even if you really enjoy it and feel great afterwards. There are a lot of other options that don't participate in, in, in worship. Paul would say that that is bordering, it's close enough to idolatry to run away from. Okay, but even if you don't give a rip about yoga, all right, um, I would really encourage you to take that principle fleeing from corporate idolatry. Take that principle and apply it to other things in your life. Take that principle and apply it to the situations you find yourself in where you're with a group of people who are very clearly and outwardly worshiping something besides the one true and living God. Okay, so whether or not you are a yoga person, I hope you have seen that you are a worshiper. And most of us, most of our problems are Disorders in our worship. Um, but I, I, I do, just, just, just for one more second, I, I want you guys to see your life and your heart in a new light. It is really easy when you've been a Christian for a while to think of yourself as a basically good person. You know, I haven't done this, 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 or this in the last three or four years now. I am crushing it. And this passage says that no, actually, in much of your daily life, you are breaking the first and second commandments. You are doing things in your hearts, and almost uncontrollably, right, that people have died as a result of. You cannot be righteous on your own. And I think what's even worse uh, is that I could spend the next three hours, and it would be very laborious, okay? I could spend the next three hours over and over again talking about how bad idolatry was and how terrible it is and how... That the consequences are and if i stop there if the lesson stopped right now okay no one in this room including myself would change one bit we just love what we love we had a uh, we had a foster son far back who i really loved and uh he loved the playground he loved the playground and uh when you when you when you deal with kids from hard places you learn uh, lots of techniques to help them transition from things that they love to things that aren't so great like going home and eating dinner and uh, we we like pulled out the book with him, like everything you could do. Like I'm gonna offer you Kit Chat, I'm gonna give you five minute warning, a four minute warning, a three, you know, like ten different warnings that we're about to leave. I'm gonna whatever. And almost inevitably, every time you get to a point where you could just see the the switch flip, I don't care what the consequences are. I'm gonna do what I want. He, he, he got there, you know. He'd run away from me to whatever. whatever. And, and guys, I think many of us are like that. At the end of the day. We love what we love. And no, no amount of threats or talking about the consequences, talking about how bad it is, is really going to change us. What we need are new affections, a new love. We need our worship directed rightly. And this passage gives us a couple of hints on how to be free. Uh, look again at verse uh, verse 5. Again, remember, this passage talks about Israel. God's corporate people and their failures. With most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Well, there was another one, a Jew by birth, whose life in many ways was a model of theirs. Uh, Jesus Christ, who himself went into the wilderness. You guys heard that story? Jesus goes and into the wilderness and he fasts for forty days and forty nights, and the devil comes and tempts him, and he keeps quoting Bible verses. And most of the time, for that preach, don't even talk about how good scripture memory is, right? so you can fight the devil, right? Well, what that passage is really saying is Jesus, he is the new Israel. In every way that they failed in their testing, he succeeded. (laughs) He never committed idolatry. He always loved the Lord his God with all of his heart. And Jesus, as an innocent man, as someone who treasured and trusted God with all of his heart, he bore the penalty for sinners. He was overthrown. He was the one killed with his body left out to die, to shame. And Christ did that to forgive you. So that right now, as an as someone who struggles with idolatry, who flirts with the sin, you can be right with God. You can have a relationship with God. You can come to him, not as an angry judge who's mad at you, but as as a father who welcomes you. Christ took the penalty for your idolatry. And he did so not just to forgive you, but to give you power over it. Here, uh, here, Titus 2, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, and training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present, present age. It is God's grace, his favor, his power given to you in Jesus that enables you to renounce ungodliness. God himself, not, not your effort, not trying hard, God himself comes and he gives you grace to have your heart warmed and turn to him and turn away from the things that you idolize. Look at, uh, look at verse 13 back in the passage. Paul kind of talks about this hope for a minute. He says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, of course, um, Paul recognizes that idolatry is very tempting, and a, one of the reformers, John Calvin, said, "The human heart is an idol-making factory. We can just come up with stuff." You know, um, but Paul says, "Every one of these situations, every, the thing that has your heart the most this morning." that God is faithful. He's able to provide you a way of escape. And I think that escape from idolatry is God himself. What God does to free us from our idols is he gives us himself. Idolatry is is loving a cheap substitute. Uh, One time, I don't know if you guys know Caitlin Reimer. She's been in the young adult ministry for a while, but she and I used to work together uh, in the middle school ministry. And uh, one year for a Christmas party, uh, we wanted to get a good gift that was also really cheap, and so uh, so I started the Amazon search for a gift, which is all, always fun during Christmas time. Anyways, I came upon a smartwatch that was 20 bucks, and I was like, I don't care if it breaks after a month, man. These middle schoolers are gonna love this thing. So so we bought it, okay, and uh, we had uh, Amazon Prime came in a couple days, and we get it, and we open it, and the entire box is covered in. Korean or Japanese script, we could understand. And I was like, okay, if it still works, it's fine. I don't care if it's in Japanese or not. Like, it's still a smartwatch, okay? And we open the box, and there's nothing in it. Like, the, the manufacturers forgot to put the smartwatch in the box. and I just thought, man, you get what you pay for, it, you know? Like, um, and and I think I think I think our idols, they are cheap substitutes for God that do not fulfill us. Most of you guys have experienced that the things that you love and treasure the most besides Jesus, disappoint you. And what God does to free us is He gives us Himself. He gives us the real thing. Listen, whatever lies under the things that you love more than God, God is able to give you you more. If you you want affection, you want comfort, you want security, God, God, God pours those out on His people in the Spirit. So, This morning, as you flee from idolatry, flee to your God. The Psalms call him a refuge, a place for a fugitive, a safe place, a strong tower. He is willing and waiting to receive you. As you do that, that famous verse, 31, do all to the glory of God to begin to become a reality in your life. You experience God's glory, you love it, you treasure it, you have it in your life, and all of a sudden, you live for it. May God do so today in us. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, um, I just confess, Lord, that there are a, a myriad of things in my life uh, that deserve death. That, there are, that e- even ministry and family and success are things that I treasure oftentimes more than you. And I just plead for your forgiveness. And I just pray for all of us, Lord, that this week we would see power over our idols, that we would see power over the things that have, until this point, trapped us. Please be gracious now, in Jesus' name.